In this episode, we talk about AI, machine learning, and deep learning, as well as some use cases around computer vision, natural language processing, and many more. A customer also asks us if you create all of these models, how is it applicable from other use cases? And will it work? Listen into this episode. The improvement of compute since then, all right, just to share with you some numbers behind it. The Apollo guidance computer runs at what we call instructions per second, is how much compute power it has. It runs at 42 instructions per second. That's all it takes to send a rocket to the moon with a man on it. Today, every modern phone, the one you have in your hands, has some 600 billion transactions per second. All right, the thing on your phone can send more than a million rockets to the moon at the same time. Every one of our phones can do that. The huge immense of change in compute power has actually led us to do lots of applications, and I'm just talking about the phone. We're not even talking about the cloud servers or the servers you have in your IT infrastructure. The huge amount of data and huge amount of compute we have has allowed some of these machine learning use cases to flourish. In fact, to flourish to a point that even within SaaS, you know, when we when we delve into these topics, our COO internally will send a message, you know. Whatever you do, you gotta be responsible. Because as these things become more and more accurate, more and more powerful, and then that Spider-Man analogy comes back, right? With power comes with, re- with power comes responsibility, which is kind of true. When you predict something of a you know, of extreme accuracy, it becomes a little bit um, too powerful. You've got to protect it, just like any other asset that you have. So you talk about data privacy, but actually you need to protect your models just securely as well. But I'll get into those topics shortly. So that huge amount of compute, improvement of techniques, and huge amount of data is what propel uh, the capabilities we have today. How does SAS see the term artificial intelligence? There's a lot of definition around AI, and we'd like to see it in a very, very simple way. Well, um, artificial intelligence, as SAS defines it, is the science of training systems to emulate human tasks through learning and automation. When I mean learning and automation, I mean the computers that's learning from data and trying to maybe predict a certain behavior or mimic a certain behavior such that it can automate some of the very mundane tasks we do or do the things that's kind of uh, beyond human can. So maybe it is the task of reading thousands of social media posts every minute. It can be the task of uh, analyzing microscopic images which you know you want to automate rather than have a human sit there for you know 24 hours a day. Um, the ability for machines to learn from context, which refers to learning from the data we provide, and being able to learn the patterns and then project it such a way that it's useful to us. That's how we see artificial intelligence. Kind of like a tool to assist what we do things. And also to kind of set a definition, you might have heard of some, some of these keywords. I like, I like to just explain them. Are you here of AI, artificial intelligence? You heard of machine learning. You heard of deep learning, sometimes abbreviated as follows AI, ML, DL, and how are they related? 
I put a really simple diagram here, I seldom see on the internet, that machine, sorry, that AI is a super broad topic. It even covers philosophy. First of all, what is intelligence, you know, and then if tonight, if you guys want to talk in this topic, I can spend a lot of years and a lot of hours on it, right? So it goes into philosophy, what's intelligence, what's human, what's consciousness, and all that kind of stuff. But SaaS focused very much on the machine learning part of it, which is how computers can learn from data in order to perform tasks that we want it to perform. So machine learning is one part of AI that we feel is the intelligent part of it, right? Just to let you know, um, the robot that do vacuum cleaning on the floor, robotics, it is technically, academically correct to call it artificial intelligence. But by everybody's standards of um, expectations, it's nowhere intelligent as we think it is. So um, similar for us. But um, it, even in machine learning, there are topics of interest that became really popular these days. One of it is simply deep learning. It is essentially a type of neural network. And um, on the top right, I just found a picture, a very rare picture, how a neural network looks like. This is posted by a Japanese blogger who visualize how it looks like. So whether you do face recognition, whether you are trying to predict, say, risk of a credit score through neural networks, this is essentially how it looks like in the end. It is a bunch of numbers with inputs going into what we call neurons, which is another bunch of numbers, multiplied and added up together for final output, which is their predictions, and they keep changing the numbers until this whole model is able to match the reality of the situation. It's able to kind of, you know, match, understand the pattern of what's going on. Like if someone, if someone kinds of uh, lose his job or trying to cancel other credit cards, he's probably not going to pay for some of his credit cards, for example, in terms of credit scoring, for example. So he understands the real world pattern so that he can project it forward. And that's how a neural network does it. In fact, there's so many types of techniques out there, this is just one of the popular ones. And neural networks, if I were to show the bottom right corner of it, very briefly. All right. Briefly. Well, this technology has been around since 1950s, 1970s. It's really early on. You know, Alan Turing had a take on this, and quite a few other scientists had a take on this. It didn't really flourish until 1980s, 2010, and uh, it became a little bit more popular, the, the topic of machine learning. And what really kicked off uh, these days is when, when it became more accurate than human uh, judgment. And human judgment can be very inaccurate in many ways. And when that happens, you can kind of rely on it to take some actions for you. Right? Just because it works 24 hours a day and so on and so forth. Some of these stories you might have heard of. But the key thing is, SAS has been there since 1976. SAS actually built one of the, our, our CEO actually wrote one of the earliest um, discriminant analysis techniques to actually figure out um, when would be the factors that contribute to rainy or non-rainy season. Back in US, Cary, Carolina, Raleigh, where they assist the farms in trying to figure out when rainfall is coming and try to create crops. So, SAS has been around since then, and we continually improve upon what we do. And right now, today, as 
as my colleague uh, Patrick puts it, SAS has put in $1 billion commitment in order to invest into AI and continually stay to the edge so that our customers can be on the edge of these techniques, of these science. So we believe that AI is used to serve human ability and part of what we do, whether we are doing uh, whether we are engaging our citizens, our customers, whether we are fine-tuning operations, automating automations internally, we feel that AI is a fantastic complement to what we do. And um, why is that so? It's because there is things that people and human people like us are good at and what machines are actually good at. Well, um, human is very good at common sense. Human is fantastic intuition, it has empathy and understand each other very well. We have the ability to be creative and versatile in solving problems. These are some of the things that perhaps, at least today, machine learning are not able to do that. Because ultimately, machine learning tries to learn from past data, which is what it's trying to mimic across. It will not create something out of the blue. And for those IT folks out there, you might have requests from other C-level management saying, you know what, just apply machine learning and get it done, or automatically find new data. So some of the limits of AI today, and for a long time in the future at least, is that whatever system it is, is not able to go out to the field and try to find a new database to get more data, to build better models, all right? It can maybe try to self-tune itself, because, I, because the techniques allow it to improve itself, but it cannot knock on your door of another IT exam and say, can you allow me to get this data for me to train a better model? That's just not happening, all right? So um, there's a lot of things that's different, and we see the best of both worlds when we start to leverage machine learning into the day-to-day -day operations of organizations we need. So in SAS, where do we see ourselves? We see ourselves at a enabler of artificial intelligence to the corporations and organizations that we serve by doing what we do best. Um, the three parts, data, discovery, deployment, is where we will never be able to escape from when we want to have any form of successful artificial intelligence projects or machine learning projects. We need to have a good grasp of different kinds of data sources from just about anywhere we like. Maybe it could be on the cloud, maybe it could be video, audio. Even structured data can be highly complex as whether you are handling sensor data or machine data and so on. Discovery would be a whole set of different approaches to actually solve different kinds of problems as well as act upon different kinds of data that you have. So if you want to leverage conversational data in call centers, you would likely need natural language technologies. If you want to be able to dissect videos or images on YouTube or your own video recordings, you will need computer vision technologies. And everything else, machine learning and statistics would actually need to be able to cover that all. But what is very important in SAS, we realize, is it is not the vanity of building the best models once and getting some award for it. You know? It's not about the new algorithm that we create. Because when we go to customers long time in the past, you know, touting this is a new algorithm SAS has, everybody will think, uh, okay, so what, what, what do you want to do with it? 
what SAS is really good at is essentially this cycle of data discovery and deployment. Deploying the models you create such that it works for you. It could be categorization of emails, routing to the right departments. It could be auto-reply of complaints proactively when they talk about it on the internet, for example, on the web or social media. It could be some kind of alert system when we see a driver getting sleepy or making a mistake of taking out his phone while he's driving and things like that. Deployment becomes the single most important part in the whole cycle. And SAS focuses a lot on this whole cycle by adding automation and learning throughout the whole cycle. So the next few, the, the long list of examples I'm going to show will start to give you some gist of how that actually comes together. First of all, computer vision. Well, what is it? Simply, it is for machines to be able to see things. <coughs> and we have a little animation here to kind of give an idea how it actually does it and why it's able to do different kinds of tasks. Um, this is an image of a footprint, a paw print. And essentially, it is a bunch of pixels, a bunch of numbers, actually, red, green, blue values in X, Y grid. And the patterns of how it comes together when we pass through a neural network, which is what you've seen earlier, a, a form of neural network trained to recognize it as a certain label. Maybe I see this as a cat, a dog, a cheetah, and so on. I'll be able to say, you know what? This paw print should belong to a cheetah, and hence this is where it travels in the safari, and hence this is where I should protect it to make sure that you know uh, farmers don't go too near, and hence I protect the the, the wildlife as well as the farmers by setting correct boundaries. And that essentially is one of the use cases we actually ran, uh, wild track. In fact, image recognition, uh, image tracking, and all that kind of terminology uh, happens because of technologies like these. It's been used for things like product categorization. I've heard a few requests just this few weeks that um, vendors like Secret Company, I've I, I seen as well as departmental stores, want to have a camera to check if the products are actually placed correctly in the right shelves because the vendors actually pay for that particular shelf level and so on and it has to be placed correctly you know so um, safety and maintenance did people leave things lying around nowadays the airport cameras start to check you know do you have luggage lying around that you didn't take care of and things like that um, uh, this defect detection in products and so on. I'll show some more examples of these, right? But the use cases are extremely broad when it comes to computer vision. So this is one, all right, where this is actually a 3D image of a body from bottom up, and it goes up, 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 up the different layers, all right? Imagine you chop me like salami and try to see each layer, and it comes to this particular point, and this is what a radiologist is looking for. I mean, to a layman like me, it all looks the same, you know, if, you, if I didn't tell you that, you can't even recognize the body looking upwards. This is essentially a tumor and a lump, okay? So, it's very easy to miss it because in order to see a 3D image, you just see many 2D images. And a human can go through this thing day and night. And what if a machine could at least highlight it assisted? assist the radiologist to say that could this be it? 
and you just verify and rather than go through hours of details. So SAS has been used in hospitals, um, in a European hospital, to actually detect this kind of lung cancer nodules. Is it a benign or malignant uh, kind of a tumor? And if it's speculated or rough edges, then it could be cancerous in nature. So SAS goes through thousands of images uh, automatically, highlights it out, not replacing the human, because ultimately the human makes the final call with a few more checks to say that, you know what, this could really be a cancerous uh, node, a much faster response in a shorter time, handling a much wider workload. Right? So in the past, in fact, as you know, as industry, um, industry leaders, you know that when it comes down to the details, no matter how much technology is there, even x-ray machines and so on, we still have the man in the loop to manually sit there 24 hours a day, sometimes, you know, you need three shifts. But if you could assist that by highlighting only when there's a problem, then perhaps that can improve the, the, the scope and the, the load that you want to work on right, through this kind of automation. This would be another one. Um, and um, we had this interesting rubber factory. They make rubber gloves, and that's all they make. I get questions, what else do they make? They only make rubber gloves. <laughs> and um, this rubber glove factory just wants to check if the rubber gloves have a good quality. Is it too thin on one side and then it tears at the seams and stuff like that. So you can imagine the job, the quality check, you know, specialist of the rubber factory, he's looking at rubber gloves and this rubber glove factory produces so many rubber gloves. You cannot put a guy there, the guy doesn't want to be there. Now, what if a machine would take over this uh, process to automatically scan for defects? So uh, we, I, I show how an engineer actually does this. We collected images of products that is good and bad and different kinds of errors, different kinds of faults. We run through a machine learning model. Uh, we build in SAS and, and we also can build it entirely in Jupyter or entirely in Python calling SAS. So Python could be a UI for SAS entirely. And we build, we deploy the model. After we train it, we deploy the model. And then this new images coming in at some 500 images per second per computer will then scan for errors, all right? And highlight which products are labeled as defect, which are not. This greatly improves the amount of automation they have when they produce products, hence much happier customers because you've got much better quality product. And this is rubber gloves, but essentially you can even apply to any kind of products. Um, in, in this case, you see wafer. This is actually uh, one of the um, semiconductor industry customers that we have. There's only a few that does silicon wafers. Uh, and they're trying to nail down what errors are there. Okay, could that be a um, scratch uh, line that pass over each other and things like that. And this is done with a mic electron microscope. And that's a really, really powerful microscope. And the thing is, you possibly wouldn't want a human to do this every day just by the volume that it churns out. They do have automation today, but they have to send some hundred engineers just to manually program this kind of checks and constantly update their program. So even with this technology that they have, this bunch of PhD that they have, they are very interested in how machine learning can cut down the development time of defect detection in manufacturing. 
So that's an interesting experience that we have down in Taiwan and the other one in Asia. But this one is, this one is in India. This was a uh, smart city uh, inquiry to SAS, where essentially, this was a very interesting case for me for a lot of reasons I'll show you shortly. They're actually tracking something called a uh, auto rickshaw, essentially a three-wheel vehicle, a motorbike you can see behind. I think you call it a trike. Right, call it a tricycle, right? And that um, in, this is in India, and they usually are very, how should I say? Um, time is money, and you know, sometimes they kind of break the rules a bit so that they can get past something and you know, try to earn another dollar faster. But the problem is this um, there are rules that they set on the traffic that when there's heavy traffic, they don't allow certain vehicles at different times of the day. And of course, they shouldn't be going the wrong direction and so on. Okay, so they decided to set up cameras to track these issues and at least take photos as evidence when it happens. Um, but the first thing I noticed about this use case, all right, is that there's no arrows on the floor, and there's no street cameras, there's no street lights, but they start to hang a camera that does this detection already. So they go from zero G all the way to five G. Right, jumping five steps ahead. And that's the thing, it's actually possible these days, you don't need to think of so much foundational, even data to get started. Right? And you can leverage on the scalability of what these uh, technologies can help out with. So um, tracking kind of vehicles going the wrong way is one thing they can do. Uh, in China, we are doing the same to try to understand uh, city of Wuxi, the human traffic uh, making sure that we have enough resources to handle this traffic. So these are some of the interesting cases that we start to see popping up. Natural language, right. Another part of, another important part of AI machine learning essentially is for machines to be able to understand texts or conversations. Use cases are extremely wide. You could be handling claims that, uh, insurance claims, you could be handling um, warranty and fraud claims through the products that, you know, services that you provide. Um, that could be product and quality safety analysis. So engineers in the organization produce a lot of data and uh, voice of customer applications and so on. This is a quick summary of uh, text analytics I'd like to highlight. Uh, essentially today, if you own any one of these phones, and last week my colleague, uh, my, my, my team member in uh, Korea just uh, touch down on the last phone brand that's not here, which is Apple. Essentially today, all phone vendors, all right, actually check online. If you ever complain that the phone breaks down, it's better than another phone. The brother used it, battery charging, it explode, kill his pet or something like that, and you know, have some kind of physical harm. They actually know it in the next hour. They constantly check the internet for these kinds of things. And SAS is the engine that reads every social media post for them to highlight where all these issues actually are. So I personally worked in all of these. So if you have an interest in social media analysis, I'm really happy to share this topic. Uh, one area of my strong interest. So um, text analytics is really a hot topic for us. And if I move on a little bit more, Banking. Um, we also have, in the last one, two years, lots of banks coming to SAS and say, you know what, I have huge teams that, it's innovation teams that use a lot of open source. 
and how, how does SaaS play together with this? MUFG, uh, Mitsubishi, uh, UFJ Bank is one of those that came to us implementing SaaS telling us that, wow, you're the best of both worlds. I could be building open source models fully and deploying those innovative models into my operations much more easily than before. That I can maintain those models and make sure that the performance is fantastic over time. This is something that's severely lacking in open source world because if I'm a professor somewhere in the world, I create a new algorithm, you know, I wouldn't think about how to maintain it. I wouldn't think about how to maintain this algorithm model with other algorithms out there in the world. So SAS wants to be the one that comes together, aggregates it so that it can deploy more effectively. Right. Some of the possible use cases as such. Um, this is a quick view. Uh, we use it for face recognition, models we build, same platform, models we build, we do dining recommendations, this is 2FA logging in, um, we have news recommendations, you see shortly this is a dining recommendation app that we have, uh, uses the text of the, of, the, um, of the description of restaurants that posted on Google, we extract those texts and try to make guesses. If you like burgers, then this new burger joint will be for you. So something more contextual. This last story that I want to show, I'm going to tell you this service issue before it became an issue, and then schedule a repair on your terms and timeline without worrying about a truck sideline with a sudden issue. With Volvo's remote diagnostics, you have a team constantly monitoring your Volvo engine shift transmission and after treatment, helping you see service issues before they occur, removing unpredictability. With our support team, you can now plan ahead and streamline repairs to get your truck back on the road with as little interruption as possible. Standard on every Volvo-powered truck, remote diagnostics reduces average diagnostic time by 70%. Average repair times are reduced by 22%. So this is a really interesting case for me. I mean, I didn't think that I need to work on this because, as I mentioned, I work in Asia Pacific. Volvo is in Sweden. Alright, and and I thought this case was interesting because ultimately I helped this branch in Bangkok. They have factories there. I was asked to work on it, and ultimately, um, what they did was some very interesting use case. I'll share with you. One of it is something called uh, remote diagnostics which is, well, very simply, it predicts which part of the vehicle might kind of fail. And um, if I can predict, say, one month in advance, I can inform the driver. You can come in anytime you like within that one month and I get it fixed for you at your convenience before it actually fails. So that's really an interesting service um, that, that they provide to your customers using the software that we have. So now SaaS software is part of products and services of our customers to serve their customers, which is something we are extremely proud of. Another one is remote programming. This is a really interesting use case. What happens is as a person is driving uh, his truck uh, and in the fleet management system will actually track how he drives. And if he stops his truck for lunch, 
this data sent back to the headquarters will check, hey, he's going through a mountainous area, it's raining like crazy, maybe the brakes should be a bit stronger, his power steering also should be, be a bit stronger. So what happened is when he takes a break, the truck settings is updated like how your phone app gets updated automatically. And the next time he gets back on his truck, the settings of his truck is refined for each truck driver to suit the driving pattern he needs. So I thought that was really fantastic. Truck settings get updated by SaaS apps understanding the driving pattern, making it safer for them and so on. So this was a really interesting use case uh, that we think it's not just about manufacturing, you can think of it as wherever you see for citizens and customers, you can actually have SaaS improving uh, the products and services you help them with. Right. So this is really a very long list of use cases and of course we, you know, SaaS have no lack of use cases. Exactly as how uh, my colleague Patrick mentioned earlier, it's really not just catching a use case and deploying it. Right, it's really trying to figure out which is suitable in the environment, understanding the feasibility, and trying to figure out uh, where and how to get it done. So SAS have engaged you know, organizations around the world to do that a lot. Um, data for good, sometimes we, we also engage a lot on this topic. We can see a lot of government-related use cases where it's, you know, save citizens' lives as well as make their lives better. If you are interested in any of these use cases I talked about, you know, we have a um, couple of more hours left during this session. Feel free to engage myself. All right. Uh, my name is Jason. I would like to end my session over here and maybe do a quick check with the audience. What kind of questions you like to ask? Maybe I take two questions before I pass on to the next one. Any questions? Anyone? Any questions of AI and machine learning at all? Okay. If not, yes? Okay, there is one. So, Jason, thanks for that. Does somebody want to talk as well? Okay. Uh, quick question for me. I'll go first, okay? Go ahead. <coughs> A lot of your AI part talks about learning, um, deep learning, machine learning, all of those kind of things. And it tends to be a SaaS thing. We, we focus on the learning side of it. But the, the, the scariest part of AI that everyone is going through now, I think, is the decisioning side of it. It's mm. the, you, you used the example there earlier of uh, learning and automation. It's actually the automation side of it that is the biggest and hardest part for people to adopt. How do we help in that, that space? Thank you. Thank you, Gerard. Yes. Okay, quick one. Uh, SaaS is very unique in the sense that, as some of you have already experienced, we're not just pure software companies saying, here's my product, go online, subscribe, start using it. We have services, we have consultants, SME, a network. And this case, these use cases we have actually rely heavily on domain experts network of domain experts around the world where we've seen organizations execute why they choose to automate it this way what were they exactly trying to solve so that you can at least not start from scratch and go through so many pitfalls to actually get some ROI out of it SAS helps you accelerate the ROI uh, if you share with us things like you know the area of uh, topic you want to solve we actually have the end in mind 
before we craft out what data we want to use, what techniques we want to use in order to figure out what we want to optimize. Right? So that is an area that you know we actively support our customers with in order to get these achievements. And you know how hard it is as you uh, work on some of these initiatives on your side. Yes, please. I'm with the healthcare sector. You presented earlier a CAT scan image. Yes. Uh, well, my question is, is that because you already have the models to do the analytics for the images, or you're still coming from a baseline of zero? Which is which? Okay. So we realize this. Number one, um, we have the experience around the world in different industries, including what you've seen in healthcare. Uh, we build models, but we realize that we go to one location, one healthcare organization, and build these models. We feel that a lot of these things cannot ultimately be transferred. What we can, what we cannot transfer, the moment the machines, the machines are changed, the different kind of machines producing different kind of images, or even a slight change in the objective, we realize that the reusability of the models itself just goes down to almost zero. Even if I have a lot of templates to start with, but we do have a lot of templates to start with. What we realize is important is the pitfalls we learn and where to avoid so that you try to get to a success as fast as possible with as little kind of um, trial and error as possible. Which we will then substantiate by saying, you know, this is where we learn this, this is where we learn this, where the pitfalls are, and this is our proposed plan. Um, whatever we can reuse, we definitely will. Uh, whatever we feel cannot be reused, well, we can try it out just to show you how it works. But from our experience, this is the case. But we do have a lot of content we reuse, ultimately. So maybe not the direct answer. I would say it's not a silver bullet, something that we solve case by case. And thank you. So if you have more questions, feel free to ask anytime today. I'll pass it on to our hosts. Back. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for listening to this episode of SAS Page Interrail. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Episode 14 is coming up next.